It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. On your Thursday episode of Locked On Raptors, the Toronto Raptors take down the Philadelphia 76ers 119-101 with one of the best offensive performances we've seen from this team in quite some time. We'll dig into that. Plus, this Raptors team, early as it may be, is kind of giving me vibes of a certain team that captured the hearts and minds of fans last year in the NBA. We'll talk about that. Plus, the good, the bad, and the hmm from the win over the Sixers. That's all coming up on today's episode of Locked On Raptors. Thanks so much for hanging. Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot trying to miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1269 of Locked On Raptors for Thursday, October the 27th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. You can also find my newsletter, Post Touches, at Substack. You can go subscribe, get your email updates with those posts every single Friday. Keep an eye out there. New posts coming tomorrow. Plus, uh, you can, you know, go and support the show and all your favorite podcast apps for free. It's always the best way to support the show. Leave a rating, leave a review, tell a friend, all that good stuff. We are also on YouTube. If you want to see the video version of the show each and every day, just go hit the big red subscribe button and support the show, and I will forever be in your debt. All right, on today's show, the Raptors pull out a big win over the Philadelphia 76ers in their first of two with Philly in Toronto this week. Nice win, 119-109 against Philly on Wednesday night, and we're going to dig into some big takeaways and sort of some bigger picture feelings I have about this team in the early going as well. Good to the bad, the hmm, all coming up later on, but we should dig into my biggest takeaway off the top, and that is that this was one of the best offensive performances I've seen this Raptors team with this current core put together. There were some moments here and there, the zone kind of giving them trouble as it's wont to do, but they found enough shot making in those situations, and I think Pascal Siakam in particular did such a good job softening up the Sixers defense to be flambéed later on in the game with his first quarter shooting clinic that it just kind of set up the Raptors' offensive ecosystem to really operate at its full peak potential. They come out of this game with a 126 offensive rating, just north of that, um, and just a, a really, really crisp, beautiful-to-watch game from the Raptors. Their transition game was incredible. They outscored the Sixers 29-17 on the run. I believe, I read this stat in Tim Bontemps' piece kind of breaking down the contenders of the East through the first week. Uh, the Raptors were 10 of 10 in transition opportunities against the Sixers, which seems crazy for a team that last year, while they ran all the time, was not so hot when it came to actually converting on a per-possession basis on the run. And so, yeah, it, it was all kind of clicking for the Raptors in this one. They overcame really good games from Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid because the offense was healthy enough and strong enough to power them through. 
And, you know, it, it gives you a lot of optimism for what this team can be when the offense is humming along. Some thing, thoughts on Siakam, I guess, to begin. He is where this all sort of starts and finishes in a lot of cases. He's been just dynamite so far this season. Last night, of course, 20 points. Uh, he goes along with five boards and 13 assists as well. And to me, that first quarter where I believe 14 of his points came, 15 of his points came, uh, you know, super, super hot shooting, just ridiculous pull-up threes, talking in P.J. Tucker's face, which the gall you must have to feel as though you can talk smack to P.J. Tucker and also, like, be totally justified in doing it speaks to how incredible Pascal Siakam has been so far. Obviously, those guys very quickly were teammates back in 2016-17 uh, when Siakam was, you know, kind of doing his G League thing for the most part. But, you know, they, they I'm sure they cross paths from time to time, and there seems to be a little bit of a connection. P.J. Tucker loves to talk smack, even if he is the subject of said smack because of his porous defensive play. Uh, it was great to see. Beautiful to watch. You love that stuff. And, and Siakam was totally, totally right to be talking all that smack because the confidence with which he was pulling up for those threes. He had the mid-ranger where that might be an early contender for doodly play of the week by the end of the week with the pull-up over uh, PJ near the end of the first quarter. Just masterful superstar stuff from Pascal. And you might look and say, well, he only scored five points the rest of the game. He missed his last eight shots of the game. It can't be that great a game. You're wrong because it was that first quarter stretch to me that put the Sixers on notice that, all right, every time Pascal touches the ball, we got to do something about this. He's too good. He's too much of a, of a matchup problem for, for Tucker. We got to send extra attention his way. We have to really, really be keen in the way we're approaching Siakam defensively. And I tweeted this during the first quarter. For every three or even jump shot that Siakam makes early on in the first quarter, you can just kind of go ahead and add one or two assists to his end of game total because you know that eventually it's going to pivot. He's going to stop looking for his own looks. He's going to realize the attention's all over him. And there are going to be outlets for him to find, whether it's Scotty Barnes continually under the basket in the perfect position to finish off plays, whether it's Gary Trent Jr. knocking down catch-and-shoot threes. And by the way, what a beautiful, perfect Gary Trent Jr. performance. 27 points, no rebounds. No assists, just just gunner stuff that you love to see. Uh, I, I think he should only score points and do nothing else in the stat sheet, and I'd be totally fine with that because it's cool. Uh, and you know, eleven of sixteen, five of ten from deep for Gary Trent Jr. last night. Super, super impressive stuff. Uh, six of six on twos for Gary Trent Jr. Some of that late clock bailout stuff I was, I was talking about. You know, he had that great drive and sort of uh, dribble move to to score on a floater in the third quarter, uh, and, you know, he, he's, he's doing the thing. But again, it all flows from Pascal Siakam, who just has such a great innate understanding of where everybody is on the floor right now, and it just makes it so the offense stands a chance of being effective in the half court, even against pretty good defenses, which... Maybe the Sixers are not. We'll get to that later on when I get to the bad, because, uh, you know, spoiler alert, there wasn't a whole lot of bad for the Raptors in this one, so I'm going to dunk on the Sixers while I can. Um, you know, and I think for me, like the Trent Siakam duo is so valuable. You know, we talked last season all throughout the year. Those two guys, more than anybody else, drove offensive performance for the Raptors night to night. You know, the team scored well above their, their season averages in terms of points per possession when those two were on the floor. And you're seeing that kinship really pay off. We see Nick Nurse trying to keep those guys together when it comes to secondary units. We're going to talk about one of those very fun secondary units coming up a little bit later on as well. Um, but, you know, so far this year, Trent 
Trent is just like eating off of the very easy look that Siakam, easy looks that Siakam's creating for him. Right now, I have the numbers here. So far, Trent shooting 58.3% on nearly five Siakam created shots a game per NBA.com's tracking data. So a pass from Siakam goes to Trent. Trent takes a shot. He's averaging 58.3% on those. And he's shooting 57% on nearly three Siakam created threes a game. Obviously, unseasonably warm shooting marks there. They won't continue all season long at that rate, but it speaks to Siakam's looking for Trent. And when Trent's getting those looks off of Siakam, they're usually pretty awesome looks because Siakam garners so much attention. He's become so good at those cross-court skip passes, finding Trent in transition as well. Trent's been so good at kind of dotting the perimeter on the run, finding the exact spot where, where, where Siakam can hit him. I think he had one of those last night in the second half as well. Uh, just beautiful stuff. And again, it's all because of the just fear that Siakam is, is instilling in the hearts of opposing defenses. You know, if you're looking for any red flags for the Raptors offense through a few games where it's been pretty, you know, up and down, there have been some stretches where it hasn't looked so good. We did see kind of the best of it last night, but something to keep an eye on here. Rim pressure. Uh, right now, the Raptors are 28th in rim frequency per cleaning the glass, which is worse than they were last year, where they were notably horrible at getting to the rim. Uh, even Siakam, 41% of his shots this year coming inside 10 feet compared to 55% last year. However, you know, you kind of look at it and say, well, you look at the defenses that they've played. They've played the Jared Allen, Evan Mobley duo who blocked everything in sight. The Raptors shot like, I don't know, 30% from inside the arc in that game, still pulled out the win. Um, you know, you've got Bam Adebayo, who they played twice. Very good defensive center. Sure, uh, Dwayne Dedman stinks and played horribly in the minutes he was on the floor, but Bam Adebayo, very, very good. Joel Embiid, of course, we know. As much as he maybe didn't look like he was interested in playing defense last night, he's just such a deterrent he's going to drive down your rim rate just because he's standing there and then you even had Nick Claxton who was playing an out-of-body game uh, in fr on Friday against the Raptors and made it so their life around the rim was hell there too and they've weathered all of that for me I got to see what the quality of competition as it changes and kind of softens up here as, as we get through this first stretch of seven games like do the rim pressure numbers stay as low as they've been as they come up against teams with less potent rim protection we'll see you know, you expect to have to take a lot of long twos and threes against teams with really great rim protection. That's just the way it is. It's just how it ro rolls. But if they can't sort of soften things up and get to the rim against some other teams, then yeah, that's going to be a cause for concern. But right now, I'm willing to chalk it up to, eh, you know, it's really good defense they've played. Their threes are falling and they're the looks they've been getting, much like all of Trent's have been great. Like everyone's getting good looks right now. They're wide open all over the place. Chris Boucher, Fred Van Vliet's even getting great looks out of those two-man games with Siakam, despite obviously being such a threat. And so I'm choosing to appreciate the process we're seeing offensively right now. We're seeing a little bit more pick and roll. You know, Scotty Barnes has been pretty good as sort of a screener and dive guy. And he's obviously finding so many opportunities underneath the basket where Siakam's finding him for dump offs and whatnot. He had that crazy hook over Joel Embiid, which was just like, whew. okay, dude, all right, you're doing that now. That's not fair for anybody else. So yeah, you know, there are certainly some things to keep an eye on, some early season trends that you don't want to see continue. You'd like to see Siakam get to the rim a little bit more just because he's that good when he does get there, but teams aren't letting him because they're terrified of him, and you can't blame them for that either. And I think process-wise, the offense has been fantastic, uh, or at least it was fantastic for the most part uh, in that Sixers game. It was great against the Nets. It was great for long stretches against the Heat as well. Um, you know, and they've been up against very good defenses here and are kind of making it work, even if maybe their numbers aren't, you know, 
showing out as, oh, well, we're a top five offense. I don't think that's ever going to be the case. We're kind of talking about grading on a curve here for this Raptors team because we know the defense could be incredible. They just got to be good enough offensively and they're going to be a serious problem. Another team that was a serious problem is, or was, the 2021-2022 Memphis Grizzlies. Oh, I just scared you. Oh my God, the Grizzlies. Yeah, that team was awesome. Guess what? I kind of think the Raptors might maybe be this year's version of the Grizzlies. We'll get to that and why I think that might be the case in just one second here as we leave off the chat about the offense in the first game against the Sixers. Hopefully they can carry that over into game two against Philly and keep on keeping on. But we will talk about the strange vibes I'm getting, the exciting vibes I'm getting about this team and how they might kind of line up with last year's Grizzlies in just one second here. But before we do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Prize Picks, who are making daily fantasy sports fun, easy, super, super accessible. You got to check them out. Right now, Pascal Siakam is throwing a bazillion assists a game. If you go to Prize Picks and you sort of put in your entry to have Siakam go more than what they projected for him to get, you can win yourself some bucks because with prize picks, you can enter two to five different players in your daily fantasy sports entry, pick whether they're going to get more or less than the number of points they're projected for. And if you're right, you can win up to 10 times on your entry. Just go and check them out right now. It's super easy. They got safe and fast withdrawals. They're operational in over 30 states and Canada as well. And it's not just basketball. You can make cross-sport entries. So you can have Pascal Siakam getting more than nine assists. And you can go with, uh, I don't know, Bryce Harper getting more than half a home run in the World Series. It's all there for you. Go check it out. Download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play. Daily Fantasy Sports. First time users can receive a 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with the promo code locked on. That means if you put in 100 bucks, they're going to give you 100 bucks, poof, into your account for free. In addition to that 100 you've already deposited to go and play with, don't forget to enter the promo code locked on at sign up for an instant deposit match up to 100 bucks on Prize Picks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. Just go to Indeed.com slash podcast right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need Indeed. And we continue on here with your first listen of the day. And let's dive in, shall we, to the sort of strange corollaries I'm feeling five games in, admittedly very, very early, between this Raptors team and the Grizzlies team that went nuts last year and uh, just went scorched earth on the entire league with John Morant leading the way. Look, very differently constructed teams of course, the Grizzlies built around kind of a traditional point guard and incredibly defensively stout anchor in Jaron Jackson Jr. last year. Desmond Bain filling in the gaps as an offensive punch guy as well. Uh, and then just like dudes who are good at basketball up and down the roster. I don't think there's any argument that last year's Grizzlies team, certainly deeper than this year's Raptors team. And if the Raptors have any designs on winning the 56 or 58 games or whatever the hell it was the Grizzlies won last year, they're going to have to stay healthy. They're not going to be able to avoid 20 or uh, survive, that is, 25 games of a John Morant-like injury to a, say, a Pascal Siakam. That's not the type of team they are, so it's not an exact comparison, but hear me out here. Here's why I kind of think the Raptors of this year have a shot to be like last year's Grizzlies, who took the league by storm. One, they've got 
a guy who's playing at a top 10 level. Number one, Pascal Siakam is playing out of his mind right now. You know, again, there are some things to keep an eye on, the rim pressure, all that stuff. Hopefully he can kind of get to the rim a little bit more regularly like he has in the past. But the way he's playmaking, the two-way play from him, the way he conducts the defense, he's playing like a top 10 player, full stop, no doubt. He's been incredible so far this season. That's job number one. John Morant was that player driving the bus last year for the Grizzlies. I would also say this year's Raptors team has a little bit better top-end talent overall, sort of across the board, the top five or six players I would probably take this year's against last year's Grizzlies team, this year's Raptors I would probably take them, but that's besides the point. They also play a style, much like that Grizzlies team, that's conducive to regular season wins. They are a nightmare to play. They play very good defense that they can fall back on even when their offense is faltering. Um, you know, that that team last year, even when Jaw was out, they were amazing because Jaron Jackson Jr. was basically the defensive player of the year had he not missed so many games. And they were just a nightmare night to night. They come at you with such energy and force and fervor and joy that if you're a team like, I don't know, the Sixers last night coming up against that, that's got to be kind of a bummer if you don't have that level of energy. You just kind of know you're going to get run around the floor all night. That's the kind of vibe this Raptors team is giving me right now. And the other thing too is this Raptors team ain't perfect, much like last year's Grizzlies team wasn't perfect. And there are weird red flags, little things that kind of stand out like, oh, that could be a problem, particularly in the postseason, that could be a problem when these things really become kind of amplified and the night-to-night bringing in, bringing of energy is not going to be enough to get you by on every single playoff you know, occasion. But they... You know, the, the, again, they, they, they have the, the sort of juice in the regular season to get through. As far as the red flags go, kind of similar to the Grizzlies of last year, the Grizzlies had the second lowest three-point rate in the entire NBA. The whole thing was, can they hang with the math problem? Are they going to get gunned out of the games in, in the playoffs? All of this. It's a similar but different thing for the Raptors in that it's their rim pressure that we just talked about that's kind of their big bugaboo. Can they get enough shots at the rim to really make some hay? Obviously, the three-point shooting is so unseasonably warm right now as well that maybe that's going to come back down to earth a little bit. Although, as you talked about on yesterday's show... I kind of think they might be just a good three-point shooting team that's going to prioritize quality looks over, you know, abundant quantity of looks. Either way, you have those big sort of glaring things that most good teams don't really struggle with that might not come in the way of a lot of wins in the regular season, but could be something that rears its head in the postseason, much like, I think, you know, just sort of the general uneasiness with the Grizzlies did kind of pop up against the Wolves where they had to go to seven against the Warriors obviously they gave the Warriors a fight without John Morant for parts of that series and so um, you know I think that also applies is that the Raptors are going to give any team a fight they're going to be a miserable team to play against in the playoffs they have the juice to win a round they probably have the juice to win two if everything breaks perfectly and again we're a week into the season here so I'm getting a little ahead of my skis here but it's just the the vibes kind of line up to me of last year's Grizzlies team and this year's Raptors team and why can't this Raptors team go and win 55, 56 games, be a number two seed in the Eastern Conference, flirt with a number one seed, um, you know, if there's not some runaway number one in the Eastern Conference like there was in the West last year with Phoenix, like the ingredients are here. We see that when this team is rolling, when they're hitting their threes, when Pascal Siakam is like just softening up a defense like you're dropping a pat of butter in a pan, like it all really, really works. And when this team looks good, they look really freaking good they look like a steamroller going down a icy hill like it, it, it's just once they get into that positive feedback loop of turnover transition opportunity bucket 
Siakam half-court opportunity, Bucket, the defense being able to be set and causing problems. Boy, they're, they're, they're a nightmare team to play against, much like the Grizzlies were last year. And so I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm not saying it's like a guarantee that they're going to go and win 56 games and be this year's darlings, the team that kind of comes out of nowhere, that's getting ESPN full-on dedicated days to covering all the good stuff they're doing. But certainly it's something where I just think the sort of ingredients and the vibes and the sort of you know, the narrative, not narrative, It's that's not really the word I'm looking for here, but just like you check all these little boxes. There's, you know, the league always has these sort of types of teams and archetypes that appear. The team that surprises and win more, wins more games than it's expected to. The team that looks ahead of schedule. There's no reason why the Raptors can't be that ahead of schedule team that really spooks some teams in the playoffs. Maybe sneaks through a round or two more than you would expect. You know, th- th- this, it's just, it's so tantalizing when you see them like we saw them against the Sixers, where even though the Sixers had a pretty good offensive night overall, and you know they got a lot out of Embiid and Maxi in particular, it just wasn't enough because the Raptors are a lot when they are at their best. And look, they need to be at their best for longer stretches than they've been able to be in the past. You know, last year was so many fits and starts and great sections of games followed by really crummy sections of games. I feel like anecdotally speaking through five games, those crummy sections have been fewer and further between. They're stringing together good long stretches of play a little bit more effectively. And we're five games in and, you know, they're still going to get Otto Porter Jr. back hopefully sometime soon here. You would assume that maybe Thad Young is going to work back into the conversation at some point. Christian Coloco seems like he's going to be a rotation fixture. Nick, Nick Nurse seems to love him. He was really good in his spot minutes, I think, against the Sixers as well. And, you know, you get enough guys, you get enough depth enough get depth going, you get obviously the style of play that just makes teams feel miserable. As I put it before the season, the Raptors are going to lead the league in number of times they make their opponent want to drink bleach. Uh, that is like the formula here to go and be that surprise regular season team that wins a bazillion games and everyone's talking about as like a sexy, stealthy fringe contender. That's very much on the table from this Raptors team based on what I've seen through five games. Again, there are the down moments. There are the first halves against the Heat that are going to happen where the defense is going to lose the plot a little bit. The offense is going to stagnate. But the fact that they've been able to do what they've done against five teams that you would perceive to be pretty good, I guess four different teams they play now. Four? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but like projected to be good, projected to be some of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. All of them have their own misgivings, of course, right now, except for maybe Cleveland. It looks really good. But the fact that they've weathered this, won three of, the, three of these five games, figured to stand a pretty good chance of winning at least one more of their two in this early gauntlet against the Hawks and the Sixers. Um, man, I, I think the sort of surprise season wonderland, everyone's on board the train, everyone's calling this team the new sexy team of the future, like they were with the Grizzlies last year. To me, that's on the table for this Raptors team. And last night kind of cemented that for me. I've been feeling pretty optimistic about the sort of peaks we've seen already with all the sort of caveats and red flags baked in. And last night was just like a, a full, I think, green light to go ahead and just get irresponsible with your belief of what this team can be. So yeah, Raptors, last year's Grizzlies, basically the same team, right? We're going to continue on here, round up the show, with the good, the bad, and the hmm 
Mmm from the game against the Sixers. Before we do that, however, just a reminder that you can check out Locked on NBA's Game to Game podcast on the Locked on NBA YouTube channel. It is the nightly recap featuring one-minute reactions to all of the games from all of the local hosts across the Locked on Network. It's a great way to catch up on the games you might have missed, get the big takeaways from the games you might have missed, and keep informed on the NBA as we continue through the season. Because no one can watch all the games. It's too many damn games. The people who do are sickos, the best kind of sickos, but nuts. And so if you are less of a sicko but still want to keep abreast of what's going on in the league, Locked On NBA Game to Game is the place to go each and every day on the Locked On NBA YouTube channel. The NBA playoffs are right around the corner, and Locked On NBA is here daily to keep you caught up with all the late season drama. Every Monday, Jackson Gatlin rounds up the three biggest stories around the league, helping to break down the NBA playoffs. Mark your calendars to listen to Locked On NBA every Monday to be up to date. Locked On NBA, available on YouTube and wherever you get podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's round this out with the good, the bad, and the hmm from the game against the Philadelphia 76ers. My good is the in-between lineups that Nick Nurse concocted against the Sixers last night. Actually... The starters, who I've been pretty impressed with so far, were not so hot in this game. Minus four in their 18 minutes altogether against the Sixers on uh, Wednesday night. Whoops. <laughs> I think there was that stretch kind of at the start of the third quarter where they you know, were tested a little bit. They teetered a little bit and lost the, the plus-minus game there. The Raptors won this game with their in-between lineups, with their transitional lineups, where you had two or three starters playing alongside usually Precious Achua and Chris Boucher, who I am just thrilled to have that Bash Brothers duo together once again to throw in and scare opposing teams with the length and the rebounding and all of that. It's just a delight. You know, I mentioned the Siakam-Trent combo. I loved the Siakam-Trent-Achua-Boucher-Coloco look that they used last night. Just so massive, so just like overbearing at all times. They're going to crush the offensive glass. They're going to crush the defensive glass more often than not, you would assume, especially with the way that Precious Achua's rebounding to start the year. It's just a really, really nasty combination of players to come up against. And when you have Siakam creating with Trent spacing, that's like just enough to get that get enough offense over the board with those with those, with that lineup that I think it's something that they can probably go back to. And I like the Siakam Trent duo. I also like the Barnes OG Fred trio. You know, none of these guys I think on their own you're going to go trust like you trust Siakam to be the offensive engine just yet. But if you pair them all together, you complement their skills. You throw Precious and Boucher alongside them. That's a pretty damn good tri- uh, you know trio. It turned into fivesome as well. And I just thought Nurse did a really good job kind of mixing and matching his best players with the bench players. Obviously, still the minutes are going to be a thing. 38 minutes for Fred, 38 minutes for Siakam. You don't want to see that every single night. And Nurse will have to at some point address that and find ways to bring those totals down. But this could be the way. If you can keep those pairings together and have them really succeed and make it so you're never playing minutes where you don't have two or three of your best players on the floor to kind of keep things rolling, I think maybe there's a pathway here for the Raptors to kind of make it so they can survive um, you know, the minutes without Pascal Siakam and make it so he doesn't have to play 40 bloody minutes every night for them to win games. Uh, and also, I would just exercise a little sort of caution on getting too worried about the minute stuff right now. It's still the first couple weeks of the season, and they have a very hard schedule. Like They want to win these games. As we've talked about, the Eastern Conference is a bear. Winning these games now, just as important as winning these games later in the year for tiebreaker purposes, all this stuff. And so I don't begrudge the Raptors for going all out to try to win these games right now. And I think those 
in between lineups, you know, eventually will be a pathway to bringing those minutes totals down. Liked what I saw, um, you know, and I also, just because the starters lost their minutes last night, I still think I'm liking what I'm seeing there a lot more than I liked last year. It looks a lot more sort of in tune and crisp. And again, Siakam, just running it through him leads to lots of good things for that lineup and every lineup he plays in because he rocks. Let's go to the bad. The bad from last night's game. Again, not a ton to nitpick with the Raptors, and I'm not going to be negative about them today. So, the bad is the Sixers' game plan in general. Just like, they just played this, the Raptors for six games a few months ago in the playoffs. They've played the Raptors four times a year, every year, for in perpetuity. They should know that the Raptors are a problem in a bunch of different ways, and they just kind of let the Raptors be a problem in the way that they like to be a problem, and it just... They were fine with it. The transition defense was abysmal in this game. That was remarked upon by a lot of folks. Just brutal. Just allowing Raptors runs to the rim. Two on ones, three on twos, three on ones, whatever it was. The Raptors were just galloping in for easy transition looks. They got the threes out of it as well. Just very, very porous. You're not running back. Joel Embiid not running back. Whatever. Just, Just bad, bad defense overall. You combine that. With, look, the the Sixers are a low-paced team. We know this. They came into this game 30th in the league in pace. The Raptors came in 29th. Um, The Raptors, of course, they are a low-paced team because when they are in the half court, they slog it out. It takes them a while to get looks, and their defense forces teams to play deep into the clock. We know this is to be true. But the Sixers come into this game, and while, you know, they've always been a slow-plotting team, it's kind of felt in the past like their slowness is a result of, all right, We're going to dump it to Embiid, and it's just going to take some time for this post-up and this post-touch to develop into something, whether he's backing a guy down, whether he's backing, waiting for the double, then kicking out and waiting for the swing, and then the possession progresses from there. That always felt like, yeah, these possessions are slow and cumbersome, but like there's direction from second one to second 24 in a lot of cases, and there's actually something going on for them in the interest of getting a good look. This year, James Harden's touches are way up. Uh, I can't remember the exact disparity. Last year, it was about even Harden and Bede touches. I think they were talking about this on the Low Post podcast. Please, please, please forgive me if I'm referencing incorrectly, but the touches now are way in Harden's favor compared to Embiid's, and that leads to a whole lot of possessions where Harden's just like dribbling the ball at the top of the arc for 12 seconds, artificially shortening the possession. And the Raptors are a team defensively, that can hang for 24 seconds. Yeah, sometimes they'll get burned in the final couple seconds of the clock with that one last missed rotation, but the Sixers aren't even giving them the chance to get burned by that 20-second second second, uh, rotation because they have 12 seconds to work with, and the Raptors can hang for 12 seconds on defense and force shot clock violations, force terrible looks. They did it all night last night. You combine that with the fact that, you know, they just didn't really seem to have all that much of an idea of what to do when they were doubling Joel Embiid. It was just like, all right, well, I guess we'll double Embiid. Embiid will pass to Harden. The Raptors will rotate crisply out to stop Harden. And then he's going to throw it to the corner and Tucker's going to miss a three or hit a three. And you're totally fine with P.J. Tucker taking a three. Um, You know, that that didn't seem, that wasn't all that ingenious as to what they were doing offensively. Just uh, really, really weird, man. I, I I don't know what to make of this uh, this Sixers team. I had them as a team that was going to win. I think I had them number one. I did have them number one in my sort of presumptive Eastern Conference standings. They just felt like a regular season monster. But to win a lot of regular season games, you actually kind of have to want to try, like as we've seen with the Raptors. And I don't know how much the Sixers really feel like trying. Like it's just, are they kind of resting on the fact that they have crazy talent and they'll be fine? Maybe, and I'm sure they will be fine in some way, shape, or form. But man, the game planning last night for the Raptors just pathetic. And to just 
actively shorten the time that you give yourself to break open the Raptors defense seems like coaching malpractice. Like, how are you not giving yourself the best chance to break through the sort of rotating monster that the peak Raptors are by just getting into your stuff faster? Get into it at 18 seconds, man. Anything. But there were so many possessions last night. Our friend Joel Wolfon from The Score shared one of them where for, like, the entire possession, Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam were able to keep the ball above the three-point arc as, you know, Embiid and Harden just kind of took turns trying to figure out what the hell to do. Just... Again, unforced errors by the Sixers. Their game planning in this one was ass. Very, very bad. Um, Let's go to the hmm, shall we? And this one I will actually give some love to the Sixers and one player on the Sixers, and that is Tyrese Maxey, who uh, is like a a very, very ominous sort of hmm. I'm very scared of Tyrese Maxey. Defense, maybe not so much. Fred kind of had him uh, a couple times with just dribble moves or, you know, head fakes and stuff like that. He's very jumpy and very not strong and all of that. Defense is one thing, but he might be their second best offensive player. He's a problem, and I kind of wonder if he might be good enough to drag the Sixers out of this early season issue, like malaise they're in on his own. Um, You know, he's got to have the opportunity to do that, and Harden has the ball a lot, and so there's a weird dynamic there, but he's just so bloody fast. He's a one-man transition opportunity, and he just throws a wrench into the Raptors' best-laid double-team plans for Harden and Embiid as well, right? Because you send that extra attention towards Harden, or sorry, towards Harden, Maxi's on the weak side. Same thing with 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 Embiid like Max he's always kind of waiting for that weak side swing when they do send a double and you know it's just he's terrifying man he's a really really electric player who can change a game just because he gets on a heater and he's want to get on heaters it seems and you know the Raptors I thought last night they doubled Embiid quite a bit you know, mostly when he was kind of at the nail with no action being run, he was just kind of standing there. They'd send two guys and just force it to Harden and kind of work from there. But I didn't really feel like they sent a ton of attention to Embiid in the post. I don't think they sent a ton of attention to him when he was kind of getting deep position and sort of swarming him around the basket. It kind of seemed like at that point, all right, we're going to cut our losses here. Embiid has beaten us. He's gotten super deep. He's going to score. He was like 12 of 17 in this game, but they prevented the swings to Maxi for the wide open threes that burned them in half the playoff series last year. And, you know, I, I do wonder if maybe the threat of Maxi just kind of being out there and becoming the player he's been is making the Raptors kind of, kind of second guess whether they're going to expend their defensive resources on doubling Embiid. Of course, you can test Embiid to make passes, and we know that he's going to be turnover prone as well, but Maxi is a different kind of threat out there, and I do think he kind of changes the way we've seen the Raptors defend the Sixers the last couple seasons where it's been so Embiid-centric, and it's like, all right, we'll just let everybody else beat us, and that's fine. You don't want to let Tyrese Maxi beat you because he just might, and that's a problem. That said... With Maxi being so important, I do really think this Sixers defense might be in some trouble. Um, you know, to me, they kind of give off sort of a vibe of that Jazz Mitchell team, right? Where really, really good, lots of good things going for it, but you get to the playoffs and Embiid's just going to be asked to do too much defensively. It's just the, the wing defense doesn't seem like it's there. Tobias Harris had his moments in the playoffs last year, but I wouldn't count him as like a lockdown defender. P.J. Tucker very clearly had nothing for Pascal in this one, and he feels like he's just too small for any of the Raptors' big wings once they get going downhill. Um, You know, Maxie's bad defender. Harden's good in his post-up defense and stuff like that, but, like, kind of feels maybe like the East version of that Jazz team with the defense that they're going to be able to play. I think they're going to have to play a lot of Melton, for example, like maybe sub him in for Maxie or Harden to try to make it work, but that's going to be difficult to manage politically with with your your Doc Rivers kind of mixing and matching all these very good players 
players? And are you going to be able to bench guys? Are you going to be able to, you know, justify putting Tobias Harris on the bench when he's making $40 million a year? It's all very tough stuff. Either way, the Sixers did not impress me in any way last night. And as much as Maxi's very, very good, um, you know, I think they got some problems for sure. Either way, that's going to do it. Thank you so much for tuning into today's show. Really appreciate it. Always fun to watch the Raptors look excellent and uh, allow me to get a little bit on my take box and uh, say things that might end up being very, very wrong. But sorry, the Raptors, they're the Grizzlies of this year. And until proven otherwise, I'm going to ride with that stance. With that, we'll round the show out. We'll be back again tomorrow. TBD. I'm going to maybe try to hunt down a guest or something like that. Uh, but if not, it'll be a mailbag episode in all likelihood. So keep an eye out there. If I do put out the prompt for mailbag questions, please send them on in. It'd be lovely to answer some questions on a Friday to round out the week. And we will round it there. Go make your second listen of the day now. Locked on Sports Today, which is our daily rip around the sports world. 22 minutes each and every day hosted by Pete Bukowski. Appearances from locked on hosts all over the place. It really is the best way. If you're a sports head, if you're trying to keep up with what's going on in the sports world across the big four sports and beyond, Locked On Sports Today is the place to go. It's on YouTube, it's on your podcast apps, it's everywhere. Go check it out. Locked On Sports Today. All right, we'll round it there. We'll talk to you Friday with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Bye bye. Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.